Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information about Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. And now, here's Cynthia. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today, we are talking about forgiving ourselves. Last week's show, we talked a great deal about self-acceptance, as we talked about the reality of who you are, that A-R-E, acceptance, responsibility, and effort. And so that self-acceptance piece is one of the most difficult things that humans ever endeavor to do. We think we can accept others, but we can't accept ourselves. And there's many reasons why we don't want to accept ourselves. We've lived with ourselves every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we've done a lot of things that may be unacceptable. So this idea of forgiving ourselves, you have to understand that to accept oneself as one is, it, it may sound like a simple thing, but simple things are always the most difficult things to do. In actual life, to be simple and straightforward is an art in and of itself, requiring the greatest discipline. While the question of self-acceptance lies at the root of the moral problem and at the heart of the whole philosophy of life, is there any doubt in my mind that it's virtuous for me to give alms to the beggar, to forgive those who offend me, to even love my enemy in the name of Christ? No, not once does that. that, There's no doubt in my mind that that's what I should do. Certain as I am that what I have done to the least of my brethren, I have done unto Christ. So I can take care of the least I can feed the homeless. I can give a jacket to the bum on the side of the road. I can give charitable things. I can go do mission services. I can do things to the least of my brethren. And I've done it unto Christ. But what, here's the deal. What if I should discover that the least of all the brethren, the poorest of all the beggars, the most insolent of all the offenders, yes, even the very enemy himself might live in me. I may stand in need of the alms of my own kindness, that I am to myself the enemy who is to be loved. When I'm working with clients on self-acceptance, because self-acceptance, like I say to people all the time, self-acceptance and acceptance is the key to all my problems. Because if I can't get them to accept themselves, I can't put any change. There's no change that can occur. If I can't get them to forgive themselves, they're bound to continue repeating the same behaviors that cause them to feel that they're unforgivable. So this whole Christian truth is turned upside down when I understand that, wow, I've been giving this to everybody else, but I don't want to give it to me. So the brother within me, that's the one that I condemn and rage against. It's me. We, we hide this attitude from the outside world, but this doesn't alter the fact that we refuse to receive the least among the lowly in ourselves with open arms. If it had been Christ himself to appear within ourselves in such a contemptible form, maybe we would have denied him a thousand times. This is what we're doing to self. 
And Christ accepts me 100%. He knew me before I I even knew him. I was a sinner and he loved me. And I'm now a Christian and I'm still a sinner and he still loves me. So we've spoken a couple of shows repeatedly about this need to care for what God cares for. To love what God loves. So it's important that when I understand I'm one of the least of these and I am turning a blind eye to me, I am condemning myself. I am despising myself. I am at enmity with myself. I am my own enemy. And so in order for there to be healthy psychological truth, a healthy emotional realm, to have a mind that is able to think clearly, that is able to truly understand the knowledge of God, I have to be at one with myself. I cannot have a divided house. We know what the scriptures tells about a divided house. A divided house cannot stand. A divided house is very, very fragile, very open to any enemy that wants to come and take over. So when I am divided against myself, I am open to the enemy. When I am at peace with myself, when I am one, when me, myself, and I are operating as one, and I'm accepting me, the enemy has a much more difficult time lying to me, oppressing me, stealing from me, trying to destroy me or the works of my hands. So we have Ephesians 1, 7 through 8, and it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So think about that, the forgiveness of sins through his blood in accordance with the riches of God's grace, and that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. What God's telling us is I'm lavishing all this on you. I'm redeeming you. I'm loving you. I'm blessing you with full wisdom and understanding. I know who I'm dealing with. I know who you are. And it's important for us to really grab hold of that truth that God doesn't say he loves me lightly. He says, I love you and I know you. I know you better than you know you. I know the worst. I know worse things than you could ever think of that are going on inside of you, that I'm mitigating, that I'm having mercy and grace for, that I'm working on. He knows how fallen I am. And he's kind enough, kind enough not to tell me how fallen I am all in one shot. He kind of doles it out. We kind of work on one thing at a time because he knows it would overwhelm me. But he's not overwhelmed by me. He's not overwhelmed by my fallenness. He's not overwhelmed by my mistakes. And he can work within them to create a good thing. So as we previously discussed last week in the reality of who you are, that's the A-R-E, it's an acronym for acceptance, responsibility, and effort, we see this first step of acceptance. And so as, as we're doing this, we're focusing on accepting those things about us first that are unchangeable because they are part and a whole of the actual design of God. And then we need to discuss at length accepting things like This would be things like accepting our gender, our talents, our abilities, our temperament, our physical bodies. And as we do this forgiveness process and self-acceptance, we do this searching, fearless, and moral inventory. This is a part of accepting who we are. Although our past may not represent who we authentically are in that, our past may not be congruent with the original God-created design, it is a unique and authentic part of who you are at present. Our past is a part of who we are. We don't want our past to be active. 
We don't want to have all these unresolved regrets and all this woundedness and all this injury. But our past is a big part of who we are. So we don't want to deny and avoid our past. It is our contribution or participation to the dynamic, ongoing process of God working out his good work in us. Because we know that our identity is based solely in our ability to remember. So if you can't remember your past, you don't know who you are. So think about amnesia victims. So the dilemma God has is making sure our past either reflects our true self or becomes reconciled as a part of the self-discovery that says, wow, that's not who I am. So we need our past to reinforce, this is really who I am. Or we need our past to reinforce, that's really not who I am. So it becomes a necessary grid or template for what we will do in the future, to be either more of who we are or to not do those things that misrepresent us. So many times we see our past as unacceptable or certain personality traits or character flaws are unacceptable. Maybe the manifestations of them are unacceptable. However, if I don't fully embrace, accept, and love myself within, within my past, I am bound to repeat it. If I don't fully accept my past, which has already happened, remember, so I am to accept the things I cannot change and have the courage to change the things I can. See, I will never be able to love that mistake-making person like God, lo- like God does. So if I can't love and forgive that person, that past person of me, then that part stays separate from me. And I'm not at peace with myself. I'm divided. And we know a divided house cannot stand. So I must accept all of myself in order to have peace and unity. This is the only way to stand against the enemy, even if it happens to be myself in any given day. I must act as God does toward me and realize that kindness is what leads me to repentance. So in Romans 2, chapter, uh, verses 3 and 4, it says, You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God, he let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's where God is saying it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So in his kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. This is amazing. What this means is that we are not accepting as if we're saying it's okay or I'm embracing it as good. No. That would mean I learned nothing. That would be utter foolishness. What it means is that God accepts all of me as he's changing me and purifying me. He accepts and loves me completely as he's doing the good work he began in me. So remember, no fear. When we are doing this resolution of our past, when we're doing a fearless moral inventory, like they do in the 12 steps, we have no fear. So we have Psalm 51, 6 that says, you're the one I violated and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new, true life. So this is me saying to God, God, I'm sorry. You're the one I violated. You've seen it all. You've seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. I've been in the wrong. I'm out of step. 
We also see in Psalms 39, 139, 23, and 24, this very important way, it, the very important verse says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So in Psalms 51, 6, I'm taking responsibility. I'm putting effort. I'm saying to God, you want truth in me? Enter me then and conceive a new true life. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we will finish again in the next hour, the next segment here, Fearless and Moral Inventory, and looking at ourselves with grace so there can be unity. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking about forgiving ourselves and self-acceptance. And the difficulty in this, but how powerful this is, and how very, very painful, very injurious it is to ourselves if we will not give ourselves the gift of acceptance, and if we will not give ourselves the gift of forgiveness. And what that does to our soul, our psyche, our spirit, and how painful that is to God. Because we were talking in the previous segment that we will do all kinds of things for the least of those. When the Bible talks about Christ said, you did them for the least of these, you've done them unto me. But we won't do it for ourselves. We are one of the least of those. And so we ended that last segment with that very important verse in Psalms 51, 6 that says, God, you're the one I violated. You've seen it all. The full extent of evil, you have all the facts before me, before you. And whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time and in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new true life. And then in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, we say, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any way offensive in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So when, when we look at the 12-step program, they have, a, they have this very important step, and that's step four. And what that principle is, is it says, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and someone I trust. So as we are making peace with ourselves and accepting ourselves, we confess our sins one to another, we pray for each other, and then we are healed. So the majority of us, I think all of us probably, We kind of just like to do that with God and not have to do it with anybody else. But why would God want me to do confession? See, this is part of James 5.16. That's that when it says confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you can live together whole and healed. And then the prayer of a person living right with God is something very powerful to be reckoned with. So we openly examine our faults. With myself, I I am not going to be in denial, which we talked about in the last show about reality, that I stay in reality. This is really, really me or the best I know of me. I do this with God and I do this with someone I trust. So why do I have to tell someone? Well, someone needs to know. Because Satan loves to say to you, if people only knew, if they only knew what you did, if they only knew who you really were. And so I say to clients, Friends, I say to myself when I'm, when I'm confessing, this way I know someone knows. 
And Satan can't say that to me because I can say back to him, somebody does know and they still love me and they still accept me. And so it's part of that shame reduction because confessing brings down walls between us and it creates further peace and unity. So the only way out of shame is exposure, unfortunately. So I know you have felt that freedom before when you have confessed something to someone and they have loved you and prayed for you and said, oh my gosh, I get it. I understand that. I'm glad you told me. I still really love you. That's okay. I know what it's like. I do my own bad bonehead things. And we immediately have freedom. And that's part of living in the light. So we have in... We have different verses here. I'm going to read some to you that that are very profound. And Isaiah 1, 18 and 19 says, Come, sit down. Let's argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you'll willingly obey, you'll feast with kings. But if you are willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right. God says so. So it's important that we look at this and we say the only true way to have freedom from our past is to go through this process. If we don't, we continue to carry our past with us into the present, and then it affects our future. See, I don't get the luxury of forgetting my past like the Lord does, because I need to learn from it. He, he can say, hey, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. I remember them no more. He doesn't need to learn from my sin. I do. And so I need to have the memory of them. What I can have as far as the east is from the west is the shame. That can be put away. So it can be a dead memory. Because our past then becomes road markers, tattoos, scars, altars that show me and remind me where I've come from. It gives me hope because I have come so far. If I haven't had victory in a particular area and I have more shame because it just keeps enduring, it's really important that you understand God is in it for the long haul. And if you have been working on a particular sin, a habit, an addiction, a character issue for 20, 30, 40 years, you're in good hands. The Israelites did the same thing. God knows how to walk people through the process into the promised land. He knows how to free his people. And so we're not ever to lose hope. We are never to think that God has forgotten us, has given up on us, or that I must just be so terrible there's no fix for me. That is always from the enemy. That's what the enemy always says. He says there's no hope. You'll always be this way. You're resisting God. You won't let God help you. And what you want to remind yourself is, all I need to do is keep asking for grace and mercy. I need to do the best I can. I need to be responsible for what I can change. If I can't change it today, I need to be confessing it to someone and asking that they walk alongside of me, whether that be a pastor, counselor, therapist, a friend, that somebody walks alongside me as I am working that out. So it's imperative that we walk in the light because that's not where the enemy is not allowed is in the light. So in Luke eight seventeen it says, we're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing everything out into the open. That's the message version. In the New Inter- International Version, it says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, nothing concealed, that will not be known or brought out into the open. So it's very important that I understand, as a Christian, I need to walk in the light. It is much better to be exposed with safe people than to have the enemy strategically expose me. So when I am exposing myself, and I am taking responsibility for that, 
that gives me a bigger sense and a better sense of control over the situation. Because the thing that I may be battling with may feel out of control to me. So we want to walk in the light. Because think of it, I can't clean up anything or see anything I'm dealing with if I can't see it. I mean, have you ever tried to clean up something in the dark? When it's in the dark, I really don't know what it is. I might make it bigger than what it really is or worse than what it really is. That's, our minds have a tendency to make big things really small and small things really big. So when you start to talk about something, we get this phenomenon where we think, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. I'm making a big deal out of nothing. This is not a big deal. Or we start talking and we say, oh man, this is big. Oh, this is really big. I, oh, this, I don't like this. So it's important that we hear ourselves talk, that we are heard from another, that we are coming out into the light. We are exposing these things to a safe person. And we're going to talk in the next segment about what trustworthy people are. What are safe people? Because you just don't tell everyone in everything. This is what little children do. So it's very important as you do self-care, as you are accepting yourself, forgiving yourself, that you are talking to a trustworthy person. And a trustworthy person is someone who cares when they hurt you. A trustworthy person is someone that keeps a confidence. A trustworthy person is someone who does not judge or condemn you. That is stumbling and fumbling and working out their salvation at the same time. And they are practicing self-acceptance and forgiveness. So they have that to give to you. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we are talking about forgiving ourselves and being at peace. Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking today about forgiving ourselves. And that if God can forgive us, who are we to say, I'm unforgivable? That puts us in in a higher, a one-up position with God. That God who is perfect, all holy, died for us, created us. He can forgive everything that we have done. Every single thing we have done, every thought we have had, every gesture, every behavior, every incident, he can forgive all that. How arrogant is it for us to say, I can't forgive myself, or I can't forgive that other person? Now, trust me, I understand what I'm saying. I have to work very hard many times in my life at forgiving other people and forgiving myself. And so it is a discipline that I practice because I know it's healthy, I know it works, and I know it honors God. Because Jesus' greatest ministry was forgiveness. It was dying for us, for our sins, so that we don't have to die, so that we don't pay the price for our sin. He loves forgiveness. He has a heart of forgiveness that is un- unmatchable, is, is huge. We can't, we can't even imagine what this heart is like. And so we get to experience it. And we dishonor him, ourselves, and other people when we say, well, thank you, God, for that gift of forgiveness. I really need to be forgiven, but uh, I don't think I'm going to extend that to myself or other people. Because, see, if I, if I can't do it for me, I can't do it for others. If I can't do it for others and for me, I'm really not receiving forgiveness from God. I really haven't received it. I've only received it as a thought. So as we are looking at this, 
we are talking about the need to confess and the power in confession. Because when we are taking responsibility for ourselves, for our past, or whatever we did in the present, one of the ways I take responsibility is I speak it out. I say, yeah, this is me. Wow, it's not really my authentic person. This is why I feel badly about it. This is why I don't like it. Because this really isn't reflecting who I really am. And so I need to tell someone, I am really struggling with this. I'm not doing well. Or I did this thing in the past and I have never told anybody and I have to tell someone because Satan keeps bugging me about it. And so you need to understand that when we are working through sin, this is one of the most important things I tell clients, that this is one of the most helpful things about God, is that when clients are coming to my office and they are actively working on something, regardless of the position that they're in, I have many people that are in very prestigious positions and ministry positions, and they're worried, oh, Cynthia, what happens if, if, this, gets, if this comes out? And, and I say, you know what? You're confessing. When you're confessing, God covers. When you won't confess, when you want to live in the darkness and pretend like it's not happening, that's when God goes public on people. Because, see, God's not afraid of his reputation. When it, when it was Jimmy Swaggart and um, we had the, the whole Catholic Church issue, God had been working with the Catholic Church for many, many centuries about how they were managing this issue of, of pedophilia. And so God finally said, okay, that's it. There's too many people being hurt. It's gone on too long. I've done everything I can. I'm now going public on you. And through that, there's been wonderful restoration, wonderful healing that the Catholic Church has made some wonderful changes because that, that church is part of the very beginning of, of, of Christendom. And so when we think about how long-suffering God is as he's working with us on our issues, that if you are confessing these to someone, then we offer a covering. And Satan then is not able to, to manage it to the degree that he was before. Because think about clothing. Clothing is not just for covering up. It's not just to cover up private areas. It's also covering. We need covering. So we need to allow this. So as we look at again in Isaiah, it says, come sit down. Let us argue this out. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. So the only way to have true freedom from our past is to go through this process. As we do this idea of self-acceptance and forgiveness. So I must act toward myself as God does and realize that kindness is what leads me to that repentance. So as we are doing this searching, fearless moral inventory of ourselves so that we can clean up that past, it doesn't mean we change the past. It means we take the energy out of it and we resolve it. It means that we really are allowed to have the past be the past and it is only a dead memory. So the past is either telling me more of who I am or telling me, wow, that's really not me. I did many things in my past that I can look back and laugh at. Some of them are painful. Some of them are embarrassing because this is the way humans live. Nobody escapes this planet without a big story. So join me in the next segment, and we are going to continue to talk about how we do this idea of self-forgiveness and the power that comes from that.
Welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are looking at this issue of self-forgiveness and the power that comes from self-forgiveness and the need for self-acceptance. And one of the ways that we do this is we confess. We do that searching fearless moral inventory. That I am no longer in denial about who I am or what I've done. Because what I've done isn't always who I am. So it's really important to recognize the difference. There are many things I do that are truly me. But not everything I have done is who I am. So we had this great verse in the Message Bible, Luke 8, 17. It says we're not keeping secrets. We're telling them. We're not hiding things. We're bringing everything out into the open. Because the only way to heal from shame is exposure. And we do this with a safe person, with someone that's already practicing their own self-forgiveness, their own self-acceptance. So they have that to give me. And we talked about there's no way I can clean things up if I'm in the dark. I need to live in the light. And living in the light means exposure. But I need to understand I do this without fear because God sees everything. There's no darkness with God. He sees through darkness. So I don't need to hide from God. If I don't need to hide from God, I don't need to hide from myself either. Because hiding from self creates many, many dysfunctions, many addictions, many compulsions, much self-injury and self-abuse. And then when we're doing that, we are hurting ourselves. We will then be more apt to hurt others. So we're going to do this looking at ourself, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we're going to do this fearless because we're going to do it boldly and confidently, knowing this is what God is asking us to do because it is good for us to do this. It is good for us to be seen and to be loved completely for who we are. And always remember, acceptance does not mean agreement. So when God accepts me completely and loves me deeply, it's not because he agrees with everything I'm doing, everything I'm thinking, everything I've done, everything I will do. It's me he loves. And you need to learn the me in you to love. So we have this wonderful verse, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. It says, do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this working out, many times we think that's like works or something. Well, sometimes it is behaviors. Sometimes it is I need to go do something. But the majority of working out that salvation with fear and trembling, this is why there's fear and trembling. It's scary to work out me. It's scary to look in me sometimes. I don't always want to do that. And sometimes I do it trembling because if I have to go tell someone, if I have to go confess to someone, I'm afraid and I feel like I'm trembling inside like, oh no, what is going to happen? I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to tell them this. This is working out my salvation. This is bringing light into the dark places. This is changing me, transforming me, renewing me. So, We want to work out our salvation, not with that kind of scared fear, but with awe, the type of fear that that we use when we are looking at God. We are in awe of him. We have a healthy respect for him. So when I'm working out my salvation with awe, it's because it's big, it's serious, and it's miraculous. Because working out my salvation is learning to stand on my own two feet, not that I'm not dependent on God. It's about learning to live and move and be in an authentic manner and not have to use these external things or coping mechanisms or defense mechanisms or addictions or compulsions 
to help me try to be who I am. Because little children, think of this, it's like growing up. Little children hide, they lie, they deny, they manipulate, steal. They don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to feel pain. They don't want to do this or that. They certainly don't want anything withheld from them. So parents are there to teach moral responsibility. We didn't all get parents that were able or willing to do this. It's hard work to parent children appropriately and in a healthy manner. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of tremendous perseverance and endurance to help and guide and discipline, mold human beings, because otherwise we grow wild. So if your parents did or did not do that for you, you still need to do that for you because you are now the parent of you. And so what we do as a parent of a child, if we find out that they have done something, they confess it. They go make restitution. They go apologize. I know when I was five years old, because I love pets, I was at Yellowfront with my mother, and I snuck one of those little turtles out of the uh, aquarium, and I put it in my shirt. And as we were driving home, it was crawling all over in my shirt. My mom kept looking at me because I was fidgeting because I had a turtle crawling in my shirt. When we get home, she says to me, because I'm little, Cindy, something's going on. I'm like, no, no, nothing. Well, finally, I couldn't take it. I had to confess. And I said, I I took this turtle. I was going to tell her I found it in the gutter. So sure enough, she loved me. She said, you know, we can't do that. We go back to Yellowfront. I have to go to the manager and have to hand him back the turtle. Well, a very important lesson. Very important lesson. So we understand that God sees us as little children. And he's wanting to lead and guide and protect. And he wants us, as the people on earth, to take care of that little girl, that little boy inside of you. So we take responsibility to stand on our own, to admit and acknowledge our successes and failures. We start taking this searching, fearless moral inventory. And this is one of the ways I catch up to be a grown-up. I take responsibility for all those things. I don't run from them. The reason I can do this is because God has promised to never leave me or forsake me. I don't have to be ashamed of my humanness. He accepts me completely. See, God loves humans. And it's a great affront to him when we hate our humanity. So he accepts me completely without reservation. As a result, he then helps me accept myself, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because we have Romans 8.1 that says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean there aren't consequences. But even then, we have grace. I know many of you have experienced the fact that there are some sins we have not reaped consequences for. That is God's grace. So it's in the light. It's out of my heart. It's out of my head. And I can truly see what I'm dealing with. If I don't get it out, then things that should be small get really big. So we talked about this. Why does God want me to confess again? Well, pain changes people. However, there is pain for gain and pain in vain. And we've talked about this a lot. Condemnation and shame is only pain in vain. That causes me to run away from that pain. And then I get more pain. And so I'm only feeling it and it doesn't produce anything good at all. So it causes causes me to become more wounded, more scared, more guilty, bitter, hopeless, despairing. And then I want to hide more. I want to deny more. And I want, want to run from the very person I should be running to, which is myself, but first God. So the only way to heal from shame is exposure. And experiencing true sorrow, as well as feeling sick over what I've done, or what I've said to myself, to God, to others, this is pain for gain. This causes me to grow, to be healthier, to be a safe person. It gives me back a conscience. When I feel pain over what I've done, when I hurt over what I've hurt, how I've hurt and what I've caused, that causes me to be a safe person. 
I'm now becoming a trustworthy individual. This doesn't mean that safe and trustworthy people don't hurt others or make mistakes. It means they care about what they've done, and they seek to rectify it, and they take responsibility, and they do whatever they can to fix it. Because, see, addictions, sins, unrepentant sins, habits, um, judgments, uh, thought paradigms, um, uh, prejudices, these make us unsafe and untrustworthy. And so it has a tendency to cause us to minimize majors and maximize minors. Because pain from guilt and toxic shame causes me to become trapped in myself, and then I'm unavailable for relationship. You see, I become my own captor. I now work for Satan, and he sits back, and he enjoys how well I do the job. Because one of the things that God thinks of when he, when he looks at captives, see, he loves his captive people. He says in 69, Psalm 69, 33, he does not despise his captive people. So how does God do this? Helps me to confess, to love self, not in an egotistical manner, but in a genuine self-caring manner. Well, he does this through hope. And so don't be afraid of who you are. God knows you better than anyone and loves you deeply and completely. He knew I was a fixer-upper when he bought me on the cross. And he likes tinkering with me. Because, see, you know, Jesus is like a Lamborghini to God. And so he knew he was buying a fixer-upper with me. And so people that struggle with these sins and character flaws, addictions, compulsions, that's all of us. But we have a tendency to want to make ourselves a second-class citizen. Just remember, no one leaves this planet without a big story. And I tell people repeatedly, if your story was published, it would be a bestseller. Everyone's story would be a bestseller. Everyone's life is full and fascinating. Even if you think your life is boring, trust me, if we were to read about it, it would be amazing. So there's love. We have wonderful, wonderful love. Because, see, God wants to brag about what he's done in your life. He wants to shout it from the mountaintops. But he respects your anonymity. I'm always very thankful to God that he, he respects my anonymity. It's like me and God are in an AA meeting or something, you know, because he's done huge things in my life. He has overcome so many things in my life and many things I talk about. And sometimes I just think, okay, God, I'm so glad there's not a book of Cynthia because I don't want everyone to have to read all about that. And he's very kind to not tell everyone, to not expose me unnecessarily. But I have exposed myself to him and to others. And so as we do this process, looking at who we are, for real, taking responsibility, putting effort into working out that salvation with fear and trembling, being willing to humble ourselves, to see that we are truly lovable, not by what we do, but who we are. And that this helps us then to have more behaviors, more actions, more responses that are authentic to who we are. Versus doing all these different behaviors we're so ashamed of, which create us to do other bad behaviors to cover the bad behaviors. And we become less and less who God really created us to be. So I want to read you a couple of verses that I really think are powerful. When we look in Romans 3, 23 through 24, it's, this, is about, this is in the message, and it's God has set things right. It says, but in our time, something new has been added. When Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years that has happened, that the God setting things right that we read about has become the Jesus setting things right for us. So the God in the Old Testament is like the God setting things right for Moses as the prophets witnessed to that, who now has come 
as Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there's no difference between us and them in this, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in, and he restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. And so you have the story. This is Revelations twelve eleven that I tell clients, I tell myself. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. This is part of the confession. This is part of me telling you what God has done in me, is that I triumph over the enemy by the blood of the lamb, by what Jesus has done on the cross, and by the word of my testimony. So I'm going to leave you with a wonderful prayer. This is St. Teresa of Avila. It's my favorite prayer. She was a 15th century nun that wrote for the Vatican, and still in the 15th century, this is what it was like. She says, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass. God does not change. Patience achieves everything. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out onto the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands with which he is to bless his people. So let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you as you face yourself, as you face whatever has happened, whatever you've done, whatever you've thought, whatever you've said. Let nothing disturb you and don't let it frighten you. You're in good hands with God. Join me next week. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia and have a great week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate and spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay anytime at KPXQ1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on 1360 KPXQ.